0: today. I know I am. All right, make some noise. If you love Jesus, say amen. Amen. Would you stand with me please one more time this morning. We want to look together to our series text from the Word of God. We just want to say before we jump into that, I am really excited about Wednesday night. Every one of you who who put on a serve shirt and and jump in here and you, you smile and you greet and you usher and Uh, serve coffee and teach class and keep babies and all those things. We have something special for all of our serve team Wednesday night. Going to be some prizes given away. Everybody will leave with with a gift in your hand. So please be here. It's going to be a great time, a lot of fun. Uh, And so we want to have you there at 6.30. It's going to be a great time. Today's message is called Victim or Victor. We all have an opportunity to be one or the two just in terms of living through the circumstances of life. Before we jump into that this morning, we want to get our text together. This is our series text found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45. Let's read together. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, we want to be on your mark with you. Thank you that you served. You gave your life for us. Everybody in this room knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But the Lord, Lord, this morning we want to move to 1 John 3.16, where we lay our lives down for the brothers. Lord, we don't just come to be served, but we rise up to serve others. And to lay our lives down for those that you've called us to. Open our hearts. Give us understanding. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in this service today. I'm, I'm careful to give you all the praise and the glory. Thank you that you will order the thoughts of my mind, the words of my mouth, let them be pleasing to you. Lord, we ask you today, Holy Spirit, that you who are the only teacher do what you do best. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. We are at Mark chapter 6. We are looking at a message today called Victim or Victor. It is a difficult passage of scripture to speak to. Every one of us in this room have encountered circumstances over which we've had no control. And we realize that we've come through them based on our perspective. And that perspective is what either makes us a victim of our circumstances or a victor over our circumstances. So this morning, without any further ado, I'm not going to give any review for Mark. But I want to jump in today to Mark chapter 6. And this is the story that we're about to see. What happened to Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist? It's kind of a flashback because heretofore we've never heard anything in terms of what's going on. The other Gospels, it opens up in in the very first portion of Mark and we see John baptizing and preaching. He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. But then we don't hear any more from John at all. And so we have to get word from the other Gospels, from Matthew and from Luke as well, that Herod has put John in prison. And so all of a sudden, we break into this kind of a flashback in the narrative, and the ministry of Jesus is literally just being echoed uh, because everybody's excited about the miracles that are taking place. And, And this is what's happening here. King Herod heard of it, so we're talking about Jesus' ministry. And he responds, and it says, For Jesus' name had become known. Some said, At the response of Jesus' ministry, they said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. Now, stop right there. If he's been raised from the dead, then John at this point in this story is what? Dead. He's dead, okay? So there's some superstitious folks that think all of the miracles of Jesus are because John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. We're about to find out why, even though Mark is the shortest gospel of the four in the quad. The little, little quad of Gospels here. Mark is the shortest one. Yet in this short Gospel, we get the greatest amount of detail and the most concise story as it relates to what happened to John. And here we are. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. That's in Jesus. Okay. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So we just found out what's happened to John the Baptist. Okay. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Now we've got a mess. This is this is Maury Povich Israel version. Okay. <laughs> who to baby daddy? Who's married to whom? And they get a trip to New York so that they can tell about it and scrap on the show. Well, it's Herod and Herodias, okay? For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him. Against who? John, okay? And wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous man and a holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, yet he heard him gladly. Okay? But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So, who's who? Fortune 500, CEOs of all the main companies, they're all seated around the great banqueting hall in the great hall of, of Herod. This is not Herod the Great, the megalomaniac who built Masada and the great engineer. But this is his son, Herod Antipas, okay, who has taken his brother, Philip's wife. Opportunity came when Herod gave his birthday banquet. Nobles, all these people are there. Next one. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. Herodias' daughter, not named in this passage, is Salome, okay? She's about to do basically striptease for the king. Don't want to offend anybody, but that's exactly what's going on. It is a lewd dance. It's provocative. It is intended for the purpose of stirring up every bit of of male lust toward her. And she takes advantage of everything she possibly can. When Herodias' daughter came in she danced it pleased Herod, it pleased the guest and the king said to the girl ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he made a vow very quickly. Learn this lesson men in the heat of passion you need to be careful the promises that you make. (laughs) (laughs) He vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. She came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an ex- executioner with orders to bring john's head and he went and he beheaded him in the prison and he brought his head on a platter and he gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother you imagine this scene dripping blood poked out eyes of a once great prophet of god sitting on the charger in a hall of people that are gasped at the horror when his disciples heard of it they came and took his body and laid it in the tomb let's pray God help us today. Add your blessing to the reading of this word. Help us Lord to look beyond our American idea of fairness to see the eternal idea of the justice of God. Give us a glimpse today. Let your grace be made evident in the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. It's Jesus name that I pray and everybody said Amen. amen. This is needless to say an extremely challenging passage of scripture we have characters in a story. I deliberately didn't print notes this week because I didn't want us to be consumed with fill-in-the-blanks of drawing principles out. I wanted to try my best to try to weave you into the story. Because as foreign as this might sound to every one of you, there are probably some things that each of us can relate to if we'll look deeply enough. None of us in this room, to my knowledge have lost a loved one because of their determination to stand in the face of corruption on a governmental level. We are blessed in this nation to enjoy the freedom that we have to be able to come into this room and worship with passion the way we just did, to say the name of Jesus. Say the name of Jesus, and I I am not in any kind of way, this is not political in any kind of way, we are not trying to wrap the cross in the flag. I believe that the United States is one nation among many, And it has enjoyed the grace and the favor of the Lord. I believe that we are in a place of literally reaping the seeds that we've sown uh, because of the decisions that we've made politically, the decisions that we've made governmentally and legally. I do not believe that we would be in the shape we're in right now if we hadn't progressively over the last hundred years progressively rejected the law of God as our standard. And I'll say that and move on. Characters in the story are representative, I believe, of circumstances that that probably are working in each and every one of our lives. We've got a faithful prophet here who is declaring the word of the Lord. We first of all look and we see the faithfulness of John the Baptist. John is a very, very, very important person. He is a bridge between the Old Covenant and the New. He is the last voice of the Old Testament and the preparatory voice for the beginning of the New Testament. From the book of Malachi, we've heard that God would send Elijah. I don't believe literally a resurrected, raised up, literal Elijah, but it meant that someone would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And actually, Jesus says later in the Gospel of Matthew that it was John who was. He was your Elijah who was to come. He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He came declaring a message of repent, prepare the way of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40. 700 or so years roughly before he shows up. Isaiah prophesies in the 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah. He says, There is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Every mountain shall be brought low and every valley shall be lifted up and the crooked places shall be made plain and a highway shall be revealed. He says, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Prepare and make the way of the Lord. (coughs) There's a principle that we must realize that before revelation comes of the promise of God, there is always a season of preparation to get us ready for the promise when it shows up. John is the preparation messenger, Jesus is the revelation messenger. John comes before Jesus as one who is heralding a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He has an entirely different kind of ministry. Nobody's seen anything like John whatsoever. He comes up as a nobody out of the wilderness dressed in these crazy wild man clothes and eating locusts and wild honey and he's dressed in, in, in wild animal skins and he's preaching with a kind of a fearsome personality and declaring the word of the Lord and people are drawing crowds out of everywhere. Pharisees and Sadducees and people out of the hills are coming to hear what is this guy named John and what is he all about? He'd had a miracle birth just a few decades prior. He and Jesus are about the same age. If you remember, they're actually cousins. Jesus' mom Mary and John's mom Elizabeth are cousins and they're pregnant at the same time. Both of them have miracle pregnancies. Now, Elizabeth's was not an immaculate conception the way Mary's was, but it was still very much a miracle birth. She was an old woman, barren, never having had children. Zachariah, the husband, a great fearful man of God, fearful in the good sense of the word, in the sense of walking in the fear of the Lord, being reverent, loving God with all of his heart. He's just doing his course of following the priestly duties and an angel of the Lord appears to him while he's in the temple and he says your wife Elizabeth's going to have a baby and, and Zachariah laughs and he basically says it ain't so it ain't possible how can that happen and the angel of the Lord says you're going to be struck dumb until the child's born and then I'll open your mouth so there'll be nothing left for you to say except praise God you gave your promise you know sometimes God needs to shut our mouths and get hold this thing right here and thought this thing from wagging so he can fulfill the promise, and then all we've got left to say is, Wow, praise God. You remember the story, the baby's born, and everybody's talking about this old couple. They've, they're on the front of People Magazine, Israel, and they've, they've got this new baby boy, and they're going, What are you going to name it? And they're all saying, It's going to be a Zachariah, right? In the, in the lineage of the priesthood, he's going to have a priestly name. And, and he, he still his tongue has not been loosed yet. And he takes a tablet and he writes and he says, his name is John. And as soon as he wrote his name is John, because that was the name that the angel of God had given, his tongue was loosed and he began to sing and give the praises of God. Elizabeth and Mary are carrying babies pregnant about the same time. Nothing like a couple expectant moms hanging out together talking about what they're going through together that is a whole side story I wish I could chase that rabbit down the trail a little while but there's nothing like getting somebody else and guys you think you can understand this but let me tell you if you've got a dream in your heart you can be pregnant with the vision of God for your life for a destiny and the best thing you need is another brother that's expecting God to do something in his life and y'all get together like two pregnant women and you, you start and it's amazing what happens when John in the womb of Elizabeth and Jesus in the womb of Mary and those women start talking and having some fellowship and the babies leap in the womb That's real Christian fellowship. When you get around somebody and and, and it's like you've just been in a dry place, but somebody else that has the life of God on the inside of them starts talking and it makes the life in you kind of jump a little bit. And it revs your engines and gets you excited and all of a sudden renewal and strength and a fresh start has come into your life. All it takes sometimes is just spending a little time in fellowship and hearing what the Lord is doing in somebody else's life and it it makes something leap up on the inside of you. And the babe in one womb leaped and the babe in another womb leaped and the Bible says that John was filled with the Holy Ghost before he ever came out of his mother's womb. Needless to say, the hand of God's on this baby's life and the hand of of God is this baby. (laughs) Jesus is the hand of God. And they both grow up together, and they're cousins, and they're hanging out, and they're slingshotting and chasing bobcats and doing stupid stuff that boys do. And Jesus loved John, and John loved Jesus, and they're just a couple of regular boys. John doesn't realize that Jesus, his cousin, is not just another boy. He knows there's something different about him, but he hasn't quite put his finger on it yet until... One day John's ministry begins to come out and the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit comes on him and John decides it's time to stop putting up with the corruption. It's time to stop letting religion wreck the hearts of the Jewish people and that we need to draw the hearts of the people back to God. And he stands up and begins to preach the word of the Lord. They're coming out in droves and he's baptizing them in water. One day he's out at the Jordan River and he sees his cousin come walking up and he gets a glimpse of Jesus like he's never seen him before. And for the very first time, revelation dawns in the heart of the man that was sent with preparation on his tongue. Prepare the way of the Lord. And John looks and the dust from the trail is swirling up around Jesus' feet and something is about him, is radiating. And John turns and without ever even thinking about it, he prophesies the word of the Lord and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's never seen his cousin like that before. So John is preaching prepare. Jesus is bringing reveal. This is a principle you need to understand. Everybody say, preparation comes before revelation. You know what? You go to school and you learn before the career that you want to see revealed comes to place. You study hard and you show up and you take the test. It's amazing how God will bless and you're faithful in the little things and then God reveals greater responsibility and rewards you with a level of authority and influence you didn't have. Because you prepared, then He reveals. Because of your preparation, God follows through and brings revelation. John was preparation. Jesus is revelation. So John is an amazing, faithful prophet of God, preaching, preparing declaring the word of the Lord he shows up in Matthew 3 baptizes Jesus several chapters later we don't hear much about John until all of a sudden Jesus is ministering his ministry starts to emerge and the spirit of God is moving and and everybody's hearing about it the way we just read in this passage and Only thing is, is that Herod has captured John and he's put him in prison. He brings him out once in a while and stands him up right in his own great hall in front of his throne and Herod listens to him and John is faithful. He preaches the word of the Lord. He's calling Herod to repentance. You're shacked up with your brother's wife. Your brother's still alive. It's adultery. It's wrong. Repent. Let the Lord touch you and bring forgiveness. Stop. Get out of this thing. Over and over and over and John is faithful and Herod will put him back in prison trying to... Keep a lid on the influence of this man because John has the ear of the people. In the middle of that, John is faithful. He's not afraid to stand up and speak defiantly in the face of leadership that is disobeying the law of God. John doesn't know it, but later he's going to actually pay for that with his life. In Matthew 11, he sends word to Jesus through his own disciples. John's disciples come to Jesus and they say, Are you the one? John himself revealed it and prophesied it and preached it and said this is the Lamb of God. But there was a time in John's life when he was down there in the third cell in a place of such loneliness and isolation and solitary confinement that his faith had drooped to a level below the the meter. He had, he, had, he had descended to a place of despair and his disciples would stop and check on him and John is in a place of groveling. He's in a place where he's just about dismayed and he says, you know, I thought you were the one. I thought you were the one that God was going to send, but now I'm really not so sure anymore. Are you the one? And basically what John is saying is if you really are the one, why don't you come get me out of this jail cell? And Jesus stops and he has to I'm adding this, but I believe this kind of thing happened. I believe Jesus had to clear his throat from his human side because he loved his cousin, but he was walking in the commandment of the Lord in saying what the Father told him to say. And he said, go tell John that the blind see and the deaf ears are unstopped and the gospel is preached to the poor. Those whom the rest of society have called dregs and rejected and cast and thrown away, the gospel, the good news, the life-changing history-making good news of the gospel is being preached to them. Go tell John about all of these things that you've seen and heard. And he said, yeah, one more thing. I want you to tell tell my sweet cousin, tell him, blessed is he who is not offended in me. And we briefly touched on this last Sunday talking about the offense of the gospel that the, the cross is called a scandal on. It's the trigger on the trap that snaps shut when the mouse touches the cheese with his mouth and boom, You're trapped in that scandal. You're scandalized. You are are hurt. You are offended. You are wounded. John says to Jesus, blessed is he who is not offended in me. Jesus knew that John was going to be released from prison, but it was not going to come the way John was expecting it. How many times have you prayed and God answered, but it wasn't what you expected? Okay, hold that thought. Let's look for just a few more moments to this this unholy trinity of people in this sinful family of Herod. Let's look at the sinfulness of Herod's family. I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about how weak this king is. He is a Stick your finger in the air, check the wind. He is a pollster. He is a politician. He is only interested in what the people think. He wants to keep the people happy. And how many of you know sometimes if you're a leader worth your salt, sometimes you have to stand in opposition to what the necessary majority thinks is the right thing to do. Yeah, it was, it was our president the 16th that says you can please some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time. And you never please all the people all the time. And Herod was a man pleaser. He wanted to keep everybody happy. He, he, he was, there was something in him that was yet a spot that the, the, the presence of the Lord could bring a place of conviction and could dig in and touch his heart. And he was fascinated by John. He would listen to John. He feared John. He was perplexed when he preached but he was also glad to hear him speak. John didn't care, did not give a whatever about what Herod thought he just was trying to please god he was a god pleaser he was faithful to the law of the lord he was faithful to the burden of the lord he was faithful to 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 present what god said for him to say and he wasn't sugarcoating anything he wasn't soft pedaling anything he played the chord and he banged it out and it got him thrown in prison this is the crazy story that Herod's got him in prison, bringing him out a little bit, he lets him preach, he puts him back in. He's trying to put a lid on it. And sometimes this is what happens when, when the Antichrist spirit of man recognizes the anointing of God in a person or someone or on a local church and they'll try their best to just keep a lid on it. Oh, he, Now, don't, don't be a fanatic, you know, that's fine. You, know, you can love Jesus, be happy, be excited all you want to. But, you know, let's just, just tone this whole gospel thing down a little bit. Don't talk about the law of the Lord. This is, you know, we're in a pluralistic society and we just basically want to be tolerant of everybody and everything. Everything except the truth. Everything except the gospel of God. John wouldn't play in games. In the middle of this, we've got a weak king. We've got a king who's got flavors just like everybody else in the room and he's married to his he's married to his used to be sister-in-law. He took his brother's wife. It's against the law of God. John is faithful to continue preaching. And so in the middle of all of this, we've got two other women who come on the scene and Herod throws a birthday party and everybody's invited and they all show up and they're having a great big old hootenanny time and the ale and the wine is flowing. The food, they're feasting. And so their entertainment is in this little PYT, this little pretty young thing comes in and she's draped in veils and she starts to very strategically removes some of them and she's presenting all of her assets in every kind of lewd and provocative kind of way. I'm trying to be kind. I'm trying to be nice. We have a mixed congregation. This was a pornographic dance. This was something that would stir up the mind and the physical body of every man in this room. And Herod responded and he is in a place of pure passionate lust. So much to the point that he's just out of his mind and he promises half of his kingdom. That's what unbridled lust will do to any of us. Salome is shameless. She comes in and dances the dance. And what is so crazy about this is this is actually Herodias' daughter, which makes that technically Herod's own niece. And scripturally, that's incestuous for him to be stirred up to that level of lust. How many know the Bible doesn't pull any punches? Sometimes you have to do a little bit of studying and realize this is what's going on. But we're talking about some family relationships. We're talking about real Moripovich Povich junk here. This is nasty. This is nasty. This mess happens. God have mercy. And so, in the middle of all of this, she dances, and Herod is just totally drawn into it, promises half of his kingdom. Salome runs back to, to Mama, to Herodias, and we see what is revealed from Salome's shamelessness. We see Herodias's vengefulness. She's all out for the prophet, prophet of God. Take him down, destroy him, get rid of his voice. And she says, go back and tell Herod, you want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And Herod is grieved because he feels like he cannot go back on his word in front of his guests. Again, a king who is weak, who has the opportunity to make the right call, but he says, instead of saying, no, that's not right, we're not going to do that, he just basically sends for an executioner to take the head of John the Baptist. This story grieves me. It, 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 I read it in... I've been under the weight of this this week. I've been under the weight. Anybody who's ever preached the word of the Lord and more than just delivering a twenty-minute sermonette for Christianettes—the way people get in some places—and I'm not calling names. We don't. I don't think I'm any better than anybody else. But I take seriously what's going on for these few minutes that I'm in front of you. I pray about it all week long. I'm in the Word. I'm, I'm, I'm saturating myself. I'm studying. I'm praying. I'm going, God, what do you want to say to your people? And this is why I love an expositional study where you have to go through and get the next passage after you preach the exciting one. You don't just ignore the hard one. You don't, just, you don't just preach all these nice little feel-good messages that draw a crowd, but you are faithful to the Scripture, and you open up and you look at 15 verses that break your heart, and you go, God, where were you when this mess was going on, this injustice toward this man of God? It is not fair. It is not righteous. I get angry sometimes when I read stories like this. I get angry when I turn on CNN and MSNBC, and I see the mess that's going on in the world around us. I get angry when people come into my office and they talk to me about the brokenness of their lives. I'm not angry at them, I'm angry at the enemy of their soul, Satan who is stolen and killed and robbed and destroyed from the people of God. Help me, Holy Spirit, to settle down just a little bit, and I get so angry and I go, "God, rise up, O oh Lord, Lord, restore your inheritance, God bring renewal, bring a change, Lord, in your people. Sometimes just the weight of that can just about set me aside. Just the weight of it in my own life and the circumstances of things that are going on in my own life. And I just want to tell you the last couple of months have just been crazy. I don't in any way, I don't in any way ever, 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 I try my best to try to be transparent to let you see... That there's a struggle that I'm in, and I'm praying through, and I'm I'm wrestling sometimes just to get my own prayers out. It's not not I'm just trying to be real. So sometimes I don't feel like it, and I go, God, where are you? And I'm almost feeling like that that 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, and a whole nation is literally saying, God, are you even still around? Do you even still care about your people? Are you still interested in my life, Lord? I go through seasons where it's like I open my mouth, I open my eyes, my ears, and I hear everything. Then I go through seasons where it's nothing. And I think that's, that's life. That's, 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 that's a spiritual relationship. I think God sometimes takes us through seasons like that to train us and to teach us. I know He has me as a leader. And I, I go through those and the stuff that happens in my life. And it's just like the, the, the confluence of all these rivers coming into one head and it's just this mighty uproarious white water rafting kind of an adventure and and I'm I'm hanging on for dear life because all of it just seems to be hitting and it's a spiritual warfare and it's a financial crunch and it's health issues and it's challenges in the city and the local church and stuff that's happening in the last... Six, eight weeks, it's just been a crazy challenge for me. I've I, I been over my, my little koi fish pond and I, I did something stupid. I'm a gym guy. I'm a lifter. I know better than doing this. And, and instead of getting down and picking up about an 80-pound rock and, and le- raising up with my legs, I've been over and tried to do it with my back and I've been in a mess. I've been to the chiropractor 10 times and I've been in pain that just about sometimes throws me into the floor. Holy Spirit, help me say this. And everything that can break has broken in my house. The cars, the air conditioner, the dishwasher, the garage door opener. Everything is breaking apart. Now you know stuff happens. Things get old. Mechanical things wear out. I know that. I know it. But how is it that it all hits at the same time? And it's thousands for the new AC unit and it's 300 for the guy just to show up and look at my garage door and say, I think you got a problem there. <laughs> and the dishwasher needs a new motherboard. I'm, I'm just, help, my, help me, my, I'm let me move beyond that. What do you mean a motherboard? A <laughs> um, What? <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't even gotten started good yet. And I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm so thankful that I've had so, have a little bit of savings. I've had some money in the account. But I would be lying to you if I didn't back up and go, Lord, you're just going to blow on it all and get it all be gone. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? And I'm hurting, and this is breaking, and Dawn is frustrated, and Abby's graduating, and she's leaving school, and it's transition here, and I'm I'm navigating jury duty. <laughs> please pray. Please, where's Jay Lanimusy here? Our policeman. Mickey Thornton is one of the guys in the courtroom. We've got several law enforcement people in this church. Pray for these people. They desperately need it because they are dealing with the problems <laughs> on a daily basis of our society, and I go show up week after week after week after week, and Monday of this last week, we're sitting there, and it took five hours to get a jury set, and I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to prepare for a message, and I'm, I'm taking notes, and I've got my little iPad, and you know, you can't have your phone on, you know, and so, and they're coming around and checking, and I'm like sneaking, trying to, you know, do some work. <laughs> I'm having fun now, but I'm telling you, it's been hellacious. My back's hurting, I'm sitting all cramped. Shay was in jury duty, weren't you? Shay's there, Ellie Caballero, several other church people, and they're all just kind of looking around. And they had a rape case come up Monday, and this guy raped three little girls, three, six, and nine years old. And if you saw it on the news, he jumped before his third day before he was found guilty, and they got him up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was on the news a couple nights ago. And I'm sitting there going... Holy Ghost, please don't let me be called for this jury. Jesus, please, please, please. I know I'm thankful that we're in a nation where a man or a woman is innocent until proven guilty. But I just believe there's a special place in hell for people who do that kind of stuff. And if we hadn't stopped obeying the law of God and taking the life deliberately capital punishment for someone who raped a person or kidnapped them. According to the law of God, rape and kidnapping is not, it's also a capital offense. And when we stop doing that, it's just proliferated. If we, if we hadn't rejected the law of God years ago, we wouldn't be in the shape we're in in this nation right now. In the middle of all of this, I'm in pain, I'm hurting, I'm worrying Where's this money going to come from? And I've got a little bit. I've been working. I teach history. I've got a couple different jobs besides the church. And I'm, I'm a busy guy just trying to do to provide for my family. And I've got a little bit of money saved. And it's like every time I turn around, bam, there's another thousand. Bam, there's twenty. Bam. And, it's every time. and I'm so thankful that some have been generous and helped me in this. In the middle of it, though, you can just kind of go, God, there ain't nothing fair about any of this. I many of you know... Fairness is an American idea. Justice is an eternal God idea. And when you see something like this happening, this perfect storm of a weak king and a shameless provocateur and a vengeful mom who are all the influence of theirs is just swirling together in a perfect storm that takes out a man of God who is only faithful, you have to scratch your head and go, God, where is your justice in this? This is not righteous. It is completely unrighteous some of you still might be struggling to say, how does this relate to me? Maybe the perfect storm has made you to be caught in an economy that downsized and you lost a job and you're struggling right now to provide for the family. Maybe you were caught in the perfect storm of a weak person in your relationship that was tempted and made a decision and it's destroyed the very identity of who you are as a spouse to that person. And you struggle to forgive. Maybe you were caught in the perfect storm as a teenage girl of just some pure mean girl drama. Maybe you're not a teenage girl. Maybe you're a grown woman and you've still been caught in the perfect storm of some mean girl drama. Your reputation has been destroyed and a job has been lost and maybe you had a dream of God for a business and you've capitalized it and worked hard and a government regulation changed and an economy turned down and what was once a dream now has become a dead vision. It's buried and gone and you've had to move on. God forbid, maybe a loved one in a perfect storm of circumstances had a life taken because of being in the wrong place at the wrong time and it just tears your heart. God, why? 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 And it's easy to get in a place of offense and be offended at God. And This morning I deliberately chose the songs we sang that His love is relentless. He will carry us when the world is falling apart. He will cover us. Lord, there is no one higher than you. If I did not trust in a God who was sovereign, who reigns over men, who raises up kings and sets them down, who 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 controls the affairs of nations, uh, 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 I don't I don't believe in a God who is knee-jerking in the cosmos, like carrying around a kind of a a cosmic fire extinguisher, basically trying to put out all the fires that the devil is starting. I believe that God sits above all of that, that he reigns over every circumstance. And sometimes the stuff I don't destroy, I I don't understand. I just have to back up and go, I know that you work all things together for my good because I love you and I'm called according to your purpose. I don't understand it. I I don't know that I will until I see you face to face, Lord. The moral of this story, the bottom line is that there are some things that equilibrium doesn't get applied to it. They don't get straightened out until you get to the other side. John left the prison, but he didn't leave it the way he thought he was going to leave it. It wasn't Jesus coming to get him out. It was by an executioner coming and laying his head on a chopping block and he entered into his eternal reward. He left the prison. He was set free. Too many times our expectations aren't met. And we have an opportunity where our soul is wide open and we're in the place where we've prayed, we've maybe fasted, we've stood in agreement with others and the prayer got answered but it wasn't answered the way we wanted it to. And so our souls are wide open and Satan does a a flyby and he drops all the little seeds that reduce roots of bitterness that can begin to take up a place and grow in our hearts. And we have to make a choice. I'm going to trust in God. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. What Job said. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. I I don't understand it. I don't know how to speak to your circumstance. So, in the closing moments of this, I want to grab a passage from the book of Psalms, from our worship manual. And I want to show you what Asaph did. Because he was in a place where every one of us, at one time or another, in our walk with God, find ourselves. The Bible says in Psalm 73, Truly God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. Everybody say stumbled right there. Stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. So stumbled is that same word skandalon. It's the stumbling block. It's the rock of offense. We trip over something and we go sprawling. Last week we talked about the fact that they thought they knew Jesus and what they knew about Him made them trip over it and they went sprawling and the Scripture says they never got any further. Some people are stuck in their spiritual journey with God because they've gotten into a place of offense, into a spiritual rut. They've been hurt. They've been wounded. And until they can get that healing and move beyond that, there is no more spiritual growth. It's just a stunting. It's basically the Holy Spirit sends you to the showers, gets you out of the ball game, and you're just basically in the showers. Some people spend 20 years in the showers because they're offended. Out of the game of life, of God using them. And Asaph says this. He says, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. And this is what he said. He says, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the test of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. This is what he's saying. How is it How is it that I spend my life working to make God the center to put Jesus at the center and sometimes I feel like I'm in lack and I'm doing the right thing and these people out here are doing the wrong thing and it looks like they've got everything they ever wanted and asked for it's quiet in here because I believe everybody has looked around and said God why is it that way sometimes there's some things that just don't get straightened out until the other side it says, therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And verse 11, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And this is what he says. He's, he is ticked off. Verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to be a, be a wearisome task. This is basically the, the prophet of God in a place of worship. He says, I don't get it. I am busting it. I've got two jobs. I'm, I'm trying to save. I'm trying to provide for my family. And you've got these idiots out here that are drug dealing and running scams and they're blessed. And he's got, he's so, God, I, in vain I've kept my heart pure and I've, I've done the right thing. And this is what I was just in a conversation with my son the other day. He was blessed in his job and promoted and a couple of raises already 18 months in. And he was just talking about how he ha, has people coming after him going, you know what, if you'll just send us some accounts, we'll give you a couple thousand. And I said, Drew, you know what, if you do that, you will get caught and you will lose your job. And you won't have the accounts that feed you, much less any accounts to put to somebody else under the table, so they can give you a couple extra thousand dollars. And I said, you do the right thing just because it's the right thing to do. Now I just, he's 25, but I'm still a pop. I'm still a dad. I'm still doing my dad's do. I'm still, I'm still saying, now, son, you've been raised right. You know what? You're a grown man. You, you can make your own decisions. But guess what? With the ability to make your own decisions, you're going to face your own consequences. You do the right thing because, only because, just because, it's the right thing to do. And God will bless you. Come on, somebody. Are you getting anything out of this? This is how I wrestle with passages like John taking his, losing his head. He says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Somebody help me. The very thing that makes you stay away from God is the very thing that you need to get over to get back to God. Well, I'm just offended. I don't want to go down to that church because it's just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And they just hurt me and they offended me. And let me just tell you something. It's something that when you finally wake up and you go, you know what, I've got to get back. I've got to go to church. I've got to get back in the sanctuary of God. I've got to get back in a place of worship. I've got to get back where I can hear the word. Where I can open my heart and let the Holy Spirit do whatever he's going to do to plow the furrows, the ground of my heart, to plow it up so seed can get planted into the soil of my soul and produce some fruit because I am frustrated and I'm doing no good. I've got to lift up my eyes and put my trust in God and get me some joy back. I'm going to make a decision, Lord. I'm going to get up and go to church Sunday. I'm going to get my praise back on. I'm going to wake up in my right mind. I'm going to give God and speak the word of the Lord out of my mouth. And I'm going to say, God, I trust you no matter what happens to me. I promise you, when you start to take those steps, the enemy will do everything he can to stop you, to keep you in a place of offense, to keep you blocked, to keep you hindered. And this is what Asaph said. I tried to understand this and I couldn't. It would just wore me slap out. It was a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end. There are some things, folks, that God doesn't get straightened out until the other side. When His judgment comes on the wicked and His reward comes on the righteous. Now, we're not putting all of our eggs in the basket to say, we have nothing on this side, everything is going to be on that side. That's what my folks grew up in 50, 60 years ago in old school Pentecost. You had to be poor to be spiritual. You had to be poor for Jesus to really love you. And they started out growing that, going, wait a minute. The Bible says the Lord delights in the prosperity of His servant. I'm His servant. So, Father, I'm going to trust You and believe for some of this stuff that Your Word says, prospering me. And it's not just money. It's peace in a relationship. It's soundness in your thinking. Sometimes folks who don't have a whole lot of natural wealth are some of the richest people on the planet because they know Jesus and they're walking with the Lord and they're raising champions for the kingdom of God. But I believe when we work faithfully that God will bless, He will prosper what we put our hand to. There are seasons that we all go through that it looks like everything that can fall down and break and tear up and get destroyed, it looks like it just all happens. I looked at my staff Friday in a meeting and I didn't cry, but I was at that moment, I just said, I personally need a fresh start from God sitting with my pastors here and I just said, I want you to pray for me. The last two months have been horrific with the stuff. Everything breaking, my own personal health, back pain sometimes it's indescribable. And I'm medicating about every six or eight hours and I'm rubbing on hot pads and aspirin cream and Biofreeze and everything and all this kind of stuff. And don't want to in any way sound whiny. Please don't hear me. I'm trying to just be transparent and tell you that everybody goes through this mess. And it's our perspective that determines whether I'm going to be a victim in the middle of it or I'm going to be a victor over it. We are victors. We are not victims. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Look what he says. When he goes to church, it all changes. He says, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you, God. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is no one like you, no one higher than you, God. And there is nothing on earth that, can, that I can desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, his whole attitude's changed. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. I had almost stumbled looking at all the mess and the inconsistency and the unfairness until I decided to go back to church, until I went to the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. (laughs) Jesus, thank you for your Holy Spirit in this place. I ask you right now that if there is a brother or sister under the sound of my voice that does not know you personally as Savior and Lord, that you reach to them, Holy Spirit, and do what only you can do. The Bible says, everyone, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. He's already done that. In 2 Corinthians 5, the apostle says, We implore you now, be reconciled to God. God's already stretched out and settled the accounts in your behalf. Now, it is your responsibility to reach out in faith and receive that gift of grace and settle it in your behalf with him God has reconciled you now the word is for us to be reconciled to him Jesus who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ, he took our place he paid a debt he did not owe, I owed a debt I could not pay, I needed someone to wash my sins away that's a very simple transaction right here I deserved it, he paid it I receive it in faith Every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you right now if that's